Um, the, the church has been in uh, a long season of studying and opening our hearts to prayer. Uh, this year, we focused on this spiritual discipline as one that we wanted to grow in a little bit. And so if you've been here, or if this is your first week, it's an interesting week to start in. We're right in the middle of the series, but I'll, I'll catch you up easily. Um, but if you've been here for many weeks, my hope is that, that you've begun praying in new and fresh ways or begun trying a few different kind of things to get your prayer life a little bit more developed. Um, if you have been resistant to prayer or if prayer has been a hard thing for you, that's okay. Uh, I hope that you're finding yourself maybe a little more open to exploring the life of prayer. Uh, that's been the goal. And the title of this whole series has been Words in the Dark. I haven't really talked too much about why that title was the title that I had given. Um, because um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting phrase. It's, uh, it's talking about um, the experience of prayer. Oftentimes we think of an hope for prayer to be something like radiant and full of clearness and we can sense God every time and, and that's just not how the life of prayer works. Life of prayer is a long discipline. It's a trusting hope that even though you cannot see um, this, this word dark gets at our perceptions, sometimes we cannot see or cannot hear. We've lost our way a little bit and we feel like we're in uh, kind of a dark uh, disorientation and prayer is like continuing to find words, to give words to our experience and words to our hope. Uh, and even though it may be dark, we keep on talking. But on the other hand, we do have the expectation that God is here and God is with us and God is hearing us. And not only that, but God has something to say to us. And he's always speaking over us and always whispering to us if we would have ears to hear it. And so as we sometimes live in the darkness of, of um our relationship with God, we do expect words to come out of that darkness and to minister to us and to hit us. So words in the dark has been the title. Now, when we're in this uh, um, series in a specific place t today, um, we're, we're talking about that kind of prayer experience where we're not necessarily actively speaking words, where we're more in that receptive sense of um, receiving God's word and his, his words into our hearts. And so uh, this morning, um, we talk about silence as, a, as, a, as a, an essential and important part of prayer. And so silence is kind of a darkness. It's a suspension. It's, we're not filling our space up like we so often do with words and not filling our space up with our our ideas and our projects and, our, and our, uh, the, the meditations of our heart. We're resting in silence. And this is an essential part of praying. If we don't know how to do this or we don't know what silence feels like, we're missing out on one, one of the most important parts of praying. And so to get us warmed up this morning, I found a poem on silence. And I wanted to read it through in a way. Uh, I got a bunch of pictures that go along with this, this poem um, I, I didn't write this poem. This was someone else's poem. But, um, and I don't, I don't necessarily, like, there's going to be a few lines where you're like, is he agreeing with that? Uh, and endorsing that? And this is not, that's not, just don't, don't worry about that. I'm not endorsing things that may seem like I'm not endorsing. But this poet is describing the m many kinds of silence that exists around us. 
So this is just to get our, our minds open to the idea of silence this morning. So here we go. Here's the poem. And we'll see if this clicker works. Here we go. There is the sudden silence of the crowd above a player not moving on the field. And the silence of the orchid. The silence of a falling vase before it strikes the floor. The silence of the belt when it is not striking the child. The stillness of the cup and the water in it. The silence of the moon. And the quiet of the day far from the roar of the sun. The silence when I hold you to my chest. The silence of the window above us. And the silence when you rise and turn away. And there is the silence of the morning which I have broken with my pen, a silence which had piled up all night, like snow falling in the darkness of the house. The silence before I wrote a word, and the poorer silence now. Silence is all around us, isn't it? It's in everything that we um, experience in life. There's so much about this creation which is built upon silence. And yet we struggle with silence so intensely. And I was asking myself, you know, why do we do that? Why do we have such lives that are so busy and we fill up all the little cracks that silence is not uh, really even a part, of it, a part of it? Because for me, you know, I was thinking what silence does is it takes down my defenses. If I have to dwell in silence, I have to dwell with what's really there. And all the defenses which I have up in my life, which I, I use to, 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 to numb what, what's really there. Um, our busyness, our busyness is so connected with our sense of worth. And if we're not uh, built up into these uh, whole lifestyles of busyness, we have to face our feelings of worthlessness. But as human beings, we're made for silence. We're made for many intervals scheduled in our life that come like the waves of the ocean as often as they do uh, to bring silence into our lives. We're, we're meant to process life with margins in it. Uh, and I think, I don't know if you've uh, ever thought about like, why we, we have the sense that babies or little kids are so much closer to a sense of God than we are. They've got it sort of innate in them if you listen to kids. And I think for babies, um, they, they don't have words yet. They haven't built up busyness and noise. And sometimes I look at my baby who's, um, who's four months old and he's there in his little bassinet. We have this bassinet which folds up like a taco and we put him in it and move him around the living room. And sometimes, you know, we're on our iPads and so-and-so is watching a movie and I'm typing away and, and, and Eve's doing her thing. And the baby's just there looking around. Like, that's a shelf. Well, I wonder what that is. And babies have such a gift, I guess, in a way, in that they have lots of time to process and there's lots of silence in their life. Um, and so as we enter into this teaching today on silence and prayer, 
we recognize that one of the key aspects of King David's prayer life was silence. He learned not just only, I mean, not only how to pour his heart out. I mean, he was wonderful at pouring his heart out with rich metaphor and lots of words. Uh, but he testified in his psalms about silence, entering into a refreshing, kind of life-giving silence, which is that kind of prayer which we're talking about. The, the uh, technical word is called contemplation. I don't know for anyone who's interested. Um, this is the contemplative kind of prayer. And as we saw last week, we have this promise that someday all things will be made new and we'll be making connection once again with God like we were at the very beginning. He won't be behind a veil which hides us from our perception in him. Someday that will be removed and we'll be making contact with God without any sort of thing in between us. Um, and, and yet we're not there yet. And so uh, David, the prayer masters, the prayer tradition tell us, what to do in the meantime. In the meantime, we have to taste and see that the Lord is good. We have to experience him. We can't just know it in our brains. Someone can't just come along and give us three points and we're convinced that God is real. We have to taste and see that God is good. We have to experience him. And so the, the masters have given us this kind of silence, which is like tasting God, which is like taking time to experience him. Um, and this kind of silence can only really come and we can only enter it once our hearts have warmed up and once we've poured ourselves out into his presence then comes this phase of praying and, and it can only happen when there's these preparatory movements um, and I've been talking about the three universals of prayer the preparatory phase of prayer where we warm up our hearts the active prayer where we have these building blocks where we pour our hearts out but then comes this non-missable uh, experience of God. So uh, Psalm 62 is like the psalm to understand David's love of silence and his love of contemplative prayer and his love of finally at some point in his prayer life letting go, stopping the words, stopping the buzz around our heads and finally resting. So we're going to um, jump into Psalm 62, and then I'm going to give a little bit of a snippet into the Apostle Paul's praying life, just so you know that this isn't some Old Testament thing. This is Paul. Paul was a contemplative as well. So here we go. Psalm 62. We sang it as the last song today. Uh, I'm going to read it. It's not that long. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock in my salvation, my fortress. I shall never be shaken. How long will you assail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? I love these parts of David's prayer where he's like tattling on other people to God. And he's speaking to them. How long, you wicked people, are you gonna bruise and batter me? What do you think I'm a... So this, this is what's happening. He's, he's kind of complaining here. How long will you sail a person? Will you batter your victim, all of you, as you would a leaning wall, a tottering fence? Their only plan is to bring down a person of prominence. So this is probably when David was king already, late in his life. Maybe Absalom, the, where his son rose up to, to overtake his throne. Oh, they only want to bring down a person of prominence. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. And Salah is that great psalmist's um, marker to just pause. If you come across that word, 
in the Psalms, you're supposed to pause, like take 10 seconds to just think about what's been said. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Ten seconds is a long time in public. <laughs> For God alone my soul waits in silence. Here it goes again. Rep- repetition. For my hope is from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. So David here, he's feeling personally attacked. He's feeling shaky. He's not so happy with the life circumstance that's around him. And he's maybe really anxious, lost in anxiety and in need of all things in this moment of a feeling that God loves him. That's, that's where we find David. Now, the, the, the thing to notice about this psalm as we get into its teaching is that there's a repetition. David says basically the same thing twice, but there's some variant. There's, it's not the exact same. And so when this happens in the psalms, what we learn to do is we look at what's different. If there's an exact repetition, we find what's different. And inside of it comes um, some some teaching, some wisdom. So here it goes. Here's the repetition. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation. My fortress, I shall not be shaken. Here he goes again. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. For my hope is from him. Okay, that's different. At first it was from him comes my salvation. And now he's talking about hope coming from God. So not only does he hope um, that God brings him restoration and rightness in his life. But it's in God who he's going to hope. He's not going to put his hope in anything else. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Okay, that's the same. But here, he adds a line. On God rests my deliverance and my honor. How many of us in life get stirred up into a great anxious tizzy when our honor is at stake? Someone comes at us and and, and we feel dishonored. We feel like someone's not honoring us the way they should. They're not respecting us the way they should. And we get so worked up and we're going to either take revenge, we're going to beat our chests, we're going to uh, come at someone with a, a little bit of their own medicine. And David says, okay, rather than that way, I'm going to f- put my foundation on the Lord. Uh, one, of, one of the great things about David is he learns not to, uh, he, he messes up every once in a while, but he uh, many times learns not to respond uh, to dishonor with dishonor. He learns to respond to dishonor with honor. For example, I don't know if you remember, his best friend Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, something like that, that's a hard name. This crippled boy who, if David um, wanted to, once he became king, he could have sought out this young boy who was now a young man, and he could have eradicated any threat whatsoever. The last remaining descendant of Saul who could have usurped his throne, he could have wiped him out off the face of the earth. He searches him out to give him a place of honor and prominence. This is, I mean, deep down, David knew not to retaliate. Um, 
And then he's a great example for us in this way. My mighty rock, my refuge is in God. Um, and then finally he tells us this. It's, a, it's teaching him, trust in God at all times. Every single instance of your life where you need it, at your workplace, in your family, in your relationships, when you need to trust God, trust him at all times, oh people. Now pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. This is a teaching on prayer. Pour out your heart. And so we get these um, movements here, these two movements. Pour out your hearts to God and wait in silence. It's like this rhythm that David has woven into his prayer life that we should weave into our prayer lives as, as well. Now for, for the next five or six weeks, I'm gonna talk about the building blocks of prayer. We're, we're coming close here to the end of the series. Um, I'm gonna finish it off by talking about the building blocks of prayer. Like what do we say when we give words? But for today, just one last meditation on this second key aspect of prayer. Once we've poured out our hearts and once we've got all of the nastiness and ugliness and hurt out, then there's another moment where we wait in silence. And it's all encoded in this one little verse. Every single word matters here. For God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. So let's unpack this. Uh, in the Hebrew, this word alone is the first one in the sentence. It's the first word stressing that he's going to be waiting for God alone, only. When, when we get into this part of praying where we um, have meditated on God's truth, where we've poured out our hearts, what happens then, what I'm in, inviting you into, is an experience where you, you try to stop your mind, where you try to stop all of the, the, the um, thoughts that buzz around our head like a swarm of bees, and where we try simply to wait in passivity, for God to speak to us and to touch us and to minister to us. I don't know, has, does anyone like, like um, those uh, water slides, parks, where there's a lazy river? Anyone else like the lazy river here? <laughs> I'm talking about a kind of prayer that feels like that, like you're just on your tube and the water's going through your toes and you sort of block everything else out. That's what this this part of praying feels like. It feels like there's, you, you can really detach and stop the activity. And when we do that, we have to recognize that when we try, there's going to be a swarm of activity in our mind. There's going to, our our to-do lists are going to come up, our, our worries, our concerns, everything is going to be there. If, but if we've started well with preparing our hearts and pouring out our hearts well enough, we can get to a place where the swarm of things is, is not there anymore. At least it's not consuming us. It's not, maybe on the outside, uh, white noise perhaps of, of this. And we have to be diligent to, to keep everything else out in that phase. It's, it's like a, a pressing, a trying to put a bubble around you. Uh, for God alone, it's God's space alone. Nothing else needs to be there at that moment of praying. And we recognize that everything that's trying to invasively come into our minds is something that's vying for our attention over God. Something that we would want to worship. Something that we think that we need to be in control of. And you begin to see where our idols are and the things which stand in the way of God. So for God alone, my soul waits. And so what we do there in that, in that 
kind of praying is we really imagine ourselves pressing out anything that's trying to come in and creating a little bit of a bubble. But it's not just alone, it's for God. Um, and so in that, in that moment where we're trying to be passive, where we're trying to keep everything else out and float along in kind of isolated silence, we're not just um, pushing things out, but we're looking for God. We're trying to hear him and see him, imagine him, trying to get a picture in our mind of who God is. And in that, in that, um, in that way, uh, oftentimes it feels like thirst. The, the great prayer writers talk about this kind of thirsting experience. So when we're in that space and everything else is outside of us, we begin to thirst. And if we can't feel God or if we're, nothing's happening, that's perfect, you're in the right spot. Um, maybe the one thing that we can do is begin taking our natural understanding of what being thirsty feels like and, and, and giving that towards God. God, I thirst for you. It's not words. I'm not talking about saying those words. I'm talking about actually thirsting towards God. It's hard, it's hard to describe, but um, there's a thirst there. So we get a space, we push everything else out, and we thirst for God, and then we wait. We can't rush through it. We, we can't just go, okay, God didn't do anything. He's not there. Like, give yourself some time. I'm not talking about four hours. I'm talking about, like, five minutes, four minutes. It's a long time, four minutes. But we're created to have those kind of spaces, and especially those spaces in which we thirst after and experience God. Um, so give yourself some time. Wait in silence. There's, there's a song, um, the Rabbi Say Band, I like the Rabbi Say Band. He has this song where he, he goes into Psalm 62, and it's over and over again. Pour out your heart before him. Oh, people, pour out your heart before God, and then wait. Wait in silence. It's back and forth. The song does that. So my invitation is to you to wait. Get yourself in that spot and wait for him. Um, but you're not just waiting for him alone. Your soul is what's waiting for him in silence. And oftentimes I think, well, I truly am opening up the deepest parts of me to the heavenly father. And so sometimes I'll be in that silence floating in my lazy river of the spirit. And I'll, real, I'll just imagine like taking my chest and opening up a window to my deepest place, to that stillness, to that silence. I'm opening up my soul to God. And so you might even imagine that. Use your imaginations here. What does it look like to open yourself to God in that moment? And as we do so, we recognize that from him comes my salvation. And what we expect in these times of prepped contemplation is we expect God to minister to us. He's not going to not do nothing. That's probably an easier way to say that. He's going to do something. He's going to whisper something. He's going to touch you somewhere that needs to be touching in a healing way. He's going to reveal something to you of a mystery. He's, there's going to be some fruit, whether, we, we, whether it's grand or whether it's minute, and whether we can see it or whether we, we can't. He's, he's going to do something. And so we recognize that from him comes my salvation. And, and this is a big churchy kind of Christian word. What does it mean from him comes my salvation? I like to think about it in terms of um, everything that's not right about me. Yet, God is going to work on that and do that. Anything that's broken and, and 
pulsating with pain, he's going to work on. Anything that is not fulfilled yet in life that feels like it needs to be fulfilled, he's going to fulfill it. Anything that's not supposed to be fulfilled in our life that we desire, he's going to teach us what it is to, to, to thirst after him alone. So, our soul is opened. He's going to totally align our dreams with him. We're going to re receive something. Something's coming to us in this kind of prayer. And as we do so, we, we expect to receive some strength. I shall never be shaken. That shakiness, that anxiety, which makes us feel like we're going to lose everything, he's going to firm up. This is what he wants to do in, as he ministers to our souls. And if we would only take a little bit of margin in our life to wait in silence, our lives, I think, would look so different. At least the feeling of our life would be so different. I know one of you was telling me about this last week, and I can, I can agree with you that when, when we devote ourselves and have time in our life to actually pray and give ourselves to God and open ourselves up in this way, uh, we go throughout our days just stronger, less shaky, like a tottering fence. I love that, that metaphor, like a tottering fence. We all know what a tottering fence looks like, and none of us wants to be a tottering fence, do we? We want to be strong and solid and whatever. Here it is, in one, one verse, David is opening up for us his understanding of prayer. I'm just going to give a few notes about the Apostle Paul to show us that this isn't just some Old Testament weird David thing. Uh, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that at one time he was taken up into the third heaven. Does anyone remember this weird kind of, I was taken up into the third heaven, into paradise, he says, and receive the mysteries of God, which are unspeakable. And the Apostle Paul, of anything, was a mystic. I mean, he, he was an active missionary going about, traveling about the world uh, of his day, preaching the gospel, healing people, bringing uh, all sorts of uh, shakiness to people's communities, shaking it up with the, the lordship of Jesus. But he was, a, he was a prayer. We know he prayed a lot. He tells all of his his communities that he was praying for them. And if you study what he was praying for them, he's, he, it's just amazing stuff that he was praying all the time for the people who he was ministering to and he loved and who were as part of his Christian family. Um, and to be taken up to the third heaven, which kind of is something like, I was, I was lifted up beyond my plane of existence into something else. Um, and it's all passive language there. Paul didn't say that he ascended the heights of prayer and came up to the, to the heights of heaven. He, he was lifted up. And, and if, if, if we're talking about anything, we're talking about some sort of passive contemplation that Paul gets lifted and ministered to up into. And he talks about it as paradise. He was lifted up into paradise. I mean, think about last week if you were here. What's paradise other than making contact with the living God? That's what Eden was. That's what paradise will be. God's very presence, unmediated. A garden of delight. That's paradise. And Paul says that's where he went in this time of contemplation. Um, and he says what resulted from it was that he was so deeply aware of his own weakness and his smallness and his insignificance and every time that he would want to get prideful that God gave him this special revelation, there was something like a thorn sticking into his side that could never go away to keep him humble. 
that he got this experience. But he says what resulted from it is that uh, persecutions and sufferings and all the hardships he experienced became for him like something small compared to what he was hoping for, where now one day he would finally live in that new creation of God. He gained strength. He was not, no longer a tottering fence in the form of lots of pain. He stood up tall and strong. And so he, he, um, if, if, you, if you search Paul's writings for his teachings on prayer, this contemplative part of prayer really factors in. So Romans 8, for example, he teaches about the spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought. Paul empathizes with us. We get into prayer and he knows that we don't know what to say. He knows that sometimes we don't have the courage to give the words that are really in our hearts. And so he, he knows just like he like we, we don't have the, the uh, power or the smarts to pray as we ought. But the very spirit intercedes with sighs too deep for words. So we become passive, God becomes active. When we reach our limits, God starts to then minister and he searches the hearts. I mean, this is why we enter into this passive form of praying. And it's not the only part, remember, but it is an essential part because God begins to search our hearts. Knows what's in the mind of the spirit because the spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. God begins praying for us when we don't know how to pray. When we finally let go of all of our strength and smarts, God begins to do his work. And what Paul says, he goes on to say in Romans 8, is that inside of our hearts, we get these messages to remind us that we are children of God. We are sons, we are daughters of God. Read Romans 8, it's beautiful in this way. But if any of us need to remember deeply our identity in God, it's the one thing that will slip away so easily if we lose the life of prayer. If we want to have, be deeply rooted strongly in the sense that we are sons and daughters of God, beloved children, we need to open our hearts to receive that message over and over again. That's what Paul says. That's what God is doing inside of us. And he finishes off with this. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's not a tottering fence, is he? It's like the opposite of tottering fence. And for those of us um, who are in a season or are in a moment of our life where any of this stuff has separated us from the love of God, or at least the sense of God's love for us, I invite you to think about opening yourself to God's spirit through prayer. It's kind of a poor rend rendering of a picture of someone praying in silence. Um, I took a silent retreat once um, with a bunch of people. It was a community-wide silent retreat. And what we did is we went to a retreat center and we were in the conference room at the very beginning and the retreat leader said, okay, here's the rules. Uh, you can go anywhere you want. You can do anything you want uh, on this retreat. Uh, curfews at 11, <laughs> get some good sleep, <clears throat> but you can't talk. It's all silence. There's not gonna be any, any murmuring here, just silence. Oh, okay, we'll give this a try. 
Um, and so we all went off on our own ways, did our silent things. I climbed a tree, <laughs> like way out to the top of a tree and got really scared. Um, and then I came down and I came back to the first meal and it was, this was the first really striking thing about that experience was I was sitting across from someone who I was an acquaintance with. So I knew them. I had already judged them and <laughs> did my human thing where I, was, I liked them, but there were certain things that I thought I was better than and judged them for. And I sat across the way with unable to speak to them. And so for the first time ever, I was able to see them without the words that stand in the way, without the judgments, without all of that stuff. I was able to really see them as a person. And then I, I recognized for the first time all the small talk, all of the things which I created, I would have created in that instance to sort of distance myself from them, to, to do whatever humans do, whatever I do in, in, that, kind of, in that kind of way. And I realized I, someone had disabled all of that from me. And for the first time, I was able to see them as a person and really, really enjoy them. Um, and it was the most profound experience because that's what silence does. Silence disables the words that we use to control the world. And we need it. And we need lots of it so that we can be disarmed. And when we do that in the presence of God, you know, some amazing stuff begins to happen with our hearts. Um, we receive strength. We receive perspective. We get strong in the face of suffering. So here's some things I'm just going to invite you into. Try some silence. <laughs> you know, find in this week, find five minutes of real silence if you can do it. Uh, the, um, the three, as a reminder, the three universal phases of prayer. Prep. Ask God to help you pray. When, when you sit down to pray, ask God to help you to pray. Draw all of your attention in that prep time to God. And then start using the building blocks of prayer, which I'll continue on with in the next many weeks. Here's what we do say when we do have words. Um, we pour out our hearts. But then try the passive part of prayer. Don't leave time for it. Um, be open and receive. Disengage your brain and float along in silence. And when that feels like nothing's happening, you've arrived. And keep going and wait and see what the Lord will say to you and do in your hearts. So again, just bringing, bringing the whole series sort of back in focus. Why are we praying it? Our social life depends upon it. And by this, I don't mean our friendships. If we're going to go out and be forces of good, of gospel people in the world and do amazing things for God and press back evil and be a, um, people who help society, we have to have this kind of prayer because we will become so easily a tottering fence. Uh, if as many of you are courageous wanderers in your faith, exploring, pressing edges, uh, pressing the boundaries of, of what's true, asking hard questions of God, you gotta have prayer. You gotta be tethered into his love. Otherwise, the wandering becomes um, like being alone in a wilderness in a, a desperate survival situation. Uh, in prayer, we can choose between gourmet or less. Gourmet is God's very presence. Or we can fill ourselves up in this life over and over again with other lesser things. And without silence with God's presence, we do lose touch. Uh, so friends, 
at the end of the day, um, figure out how to pray as if your life depends upon it. Um, get, grab a book, listen back through the series. Um, find a person who really loves to pray and pray and learn to pray as if your life depends on it. I'm inviting us all into this way of growth and imagination. Um, and and uh, again, next week, um, we'll, we'll, the building blocks of prayer, actually David's building blocks follow along with Jesus's, the Lord's Prayer. So the next many weeks, we're gonna jump into the Lord's Prayer and dig deep. Next week, we're gonna talk about the experience of praise, why praise and adoration of God is important in our pouring out our hearts and what that feels like, what, what that looks like. So uh, that's what we're heading into next week. Uh, but in the meantime, um, I would invite you to continue on in your exploration of prayer. Whatever God has uh, said to you this morning, whatever, in whatever direction he leads you, tr- trust that. Go with, go with what you're, you're sensing deep inside of you uh, and trust that God will lead you on well. Um, but today, we have a few more minutes here to, as a community, enter into the presence of the Lord. Um, this may be a moment where you want to try some silence, see if you can discipline yourself to, to, um, to focus in on, on some silence. Or maybe you just need to be aware that you're in a community of people who are worshiping God. Um, there's room for you, there's space for you, however you're feeling or whatever you're sensing God is doing in you to respond. And as we do so, we remember that Jesus told us every week, every time we gather to take a piece of bread and to dip it into the juice to remind us viscerally that he is with us, that he's walked this road before us, that he himself is praying for us right now when we don't know what to say with groans that we cannot understand. He's interceding for us. And as we do so, somehow this helps us to remember and to stay tethered to him as our Lord. So friends, I invite you forward today. Uh, The table is set and everyone here is welcome.